0: How are we doing, guys? It's Matt Whitmore again from Fitter Food Radio, here with who?
1: Harris Masters.
0: There you go. Just making sure she's on the ball. This is episode number seven. Uh, We're doing really well with the podcast at the moment. We're actually trying to churn them out a bit more frequently, which is good. And today is extra exciting because we've actually got a guest on the show. So this is actually the first time we've had a guest. Um, It's something we've wanted to do for a while, uh, get people on that are obviously like-minded, like what we do, like food, nutrition, health, everything like that and we've got some cracking guests lined up. But today we are very lucky to have Holly Redmond on our show with us who is a uh, nutritional therapist, a chef and also a lecturer. So uh, hello Holly and thank you for coming on. Hi, yeah. How are you doing today? Yeah,
2: really good, thank you. How
0: are you guys? We're very well. Very good. How are you, Kerri? You're not saying much.
1: (laughs) I've got post-Christmas party. um, I'm suffering a little bit.
0: (laughs) Are you still slightly hungover? I'm
1: not hungover, but it was a late night and I don't really do late nights. So I'm tired and my voice has gone a bit hoarse. (laughs) I'm shouting.
0: (laughs) I'm sure you'll perk up once we get going. Yeah. Okay, guys, so uh, I'm not going to do too much talking here because I'd quite like Holly to tell you a little bit more about herself, who she is, what her background is, and what she does. Very excitingly, Holly has been running a pop up paleo restaurant in Brighton. If I'm not mistaken, Holly's Brighton, right?
2: Um, Hayward Teeth in Sussex, but yeah, just down the road from Brighton.
0: Close enough. Mm-hmm. Hey, and uh, even more exciting than that, actually, she's in the process of potentially setting up a paleo restaurant in London, and that's a full-time restaurant, not just a once-a-month a month, uh, once thing. So we'll definitely be talking more about that because that's going to be amazing. So, yeah, Holly, just uh, why don't you tell everybody who you are, what you do, what your background is, etc., and then we'll, we'll get into it.
2: Lovely. Thanks, Matt. Um, Well, I started off in life doing uh, science at university. I did chemistry. But I've always found the bits of chemistry I was really interested in were the bits to do with kind of people and food. Um, So while I was finishing my degree, I decided to retrain in nutritional therapy. And I completed both my courses together and then practiced for around five years, seeing clients and also working for a supplement company doing education and things like that. But what I've always loved doing, even before I sort of got into the academia, was cooking. So I had the opportunity a year and a half ago to take voluntary redundancy from my supplement company job. And I decided to retrain as a chef. Um, And since then, I've been working part-time in professional kitchens, but also running the pop-up restaurant, because I'm a celiac myself, my husband's dairy intolerant, um, and we both eat sort of semi-paleo, and I really wanted to create an eating experience that was based around helping people enjoy food again that had to follow a specialist diet.
1: Wow, you've been busy. Um, One thing I was going to ask, how did you actually come across um, paleo specifically? Um, Was that when you were training as a nutritional therapist?
2: So when I was training, it was more sort of the whole food nutrition approach. But sort of through clinic, I was working a lot because I specialised in digestion, was working a lot with people where I was finding first that a gluten-free diet was really helping. Um, and then I was finding that people were cross-reacting to a lot of foods. So I was kind of prescribing a paleo-style diet more from the point of view of, of stopping cross-reactivity than anything else. Um, and I started to look at what I was recommending, And that was when Lorraine Cordain and the likes of Rob Wolf were starting to look at at the paleo diet in more detail. Started reading around it and thought, this just makes a whole lot of sense. Um, So, obviously, I had a label for what I was already instinctively doing for my clients that had autoimmune diseases and lots of, you know, disordered gut issues. Um, And it kind of all scaled from there, really.
1: And did you go in sort of 100% initially or were you sort of step by step just dropping out foods gradually and then introducing well, changing your diet that way or did you just go for it?
2: I was wheat free for years, probably about seven years ago Um, I decided that wheat and me were not friends. (laughs) Um, And then it was about two and a half years ago that I went fully um, gluten-free, because wheat-free had improved quite a lot of my personal symptoms, Um, but going gluten-free was a bit of a revelation for me. My hair stopped falling out, I had loads of energy again, and everything worked properly.
1: Um,
2: And it wasn't probably until about a year ago that I decided to give fully paleo a proper try, Um, and I did a whole thirty. Um, felt amazing out on the other side of it and decided that actually this way of eating really suits me and I'd now say that I'm probably paleo about 95% of the time.
1: We're still going to ask what the 5% is. Uh, Yeah you know
0: that's coming.
2: (laughs) Um, 5% is probably um, sort of treat foods so I'm always gluten free that's sort of no compromises and I've since discovered that I react really badly to corn so Ah. that rules out quite a lot of the kind of gluten-free type things um but I'm not strict pay in the sense that I will cook things like paleo cookies and stuff for the odd treat and you know occasionally if I'm out and I really fancy I don't know something like sushi or if I want a crunchy like once a month then I'll let myself have it or a glass of wine I don't I think it's important
0: not to beat yourself up about the 5%. <laughs> no, I totally agree. I yeah, mean, some, something we, we're we big on with, with our clients and, you know, when we do one, one-to-one one or our online stuff is, uh, you know, what we want to do is, is change people's relationship with food. So even when they do have, you know, a so-called treat or something, they actually really thoroughly enjoy it for what it is. Rather than, exactly. you know, getting, you know, getting all wound up about it, feeling guilty and then, you know, you know, causing stress to their body that, you know, it's just so unnecessary. So I, I totally agree, you know, 5% in the grand scheme of things, you know, just enjoy yeah, it. Yeah, well,
2: I, I still avoid the foods that I know that I definitely react to. But, you know, every now and again, you, it's, you know, a treat because it's a special occasion and you do want to thoroughly enjoy it. And I do think that's really important.
0: You mentioned that you're celiac yourself and you said you worked out some years ago that, you know, just wheat and gluten just didn't really respond very well with you. Um, How long was it before you kind of thought enough is enough? And the reason I ask is because a lot of people tend to put up with symptoms for a long, long time. You know, they kind of just try and keep pushing them to one side or covering them up or working around them. Thinking that you know, or you know, happens to quite a lot of people. Where did you kind of draw the line and think, right, I need to do something now because I just I can't take this anymore.
2: It probably was two and a half years ago because with the wheat free, I'd been wheat free apart from, for example, when I went on holiday and it was sort of too much hassle. So I'd go on holiday, I'd eat all the wrong kind of foods for me. Come back, feel pretty diabolical, and go back to being wheat free again. And two and a half years ago, I, it just sort of made the decision actually after my honeymoon, after I'd got married. I'd been away, eaten a load of stuff, come back feeling really quite awful. And I just thought, this is really ridiculous. I'm doing this for all the wrong reasons and I'd made a link a little while ago that when I ate gluten that it completely interfered with my appetite and it made me just want to stand in front of the fridge and eat rubbish (laughs) (laughs) so I've made the decision then that I was going to be 100% gluten free and the, the response in my body after having a month without it was just so amazing that I suddenly, I had control over my appetite again in the sense that, you know, I knew when I was hungry and when I wasn't. And like I said, my hair stopped falling out. My performance in the gym just went through the roof. You know, my muscles wouldn't fatigue as early, had stamina that went on for hours, and just generally felt so much better um, that I've never looked back. And it's since more recently I've been experimenting with paleo that I've discovered other foods that perhaps cause more of a response in me that were in the background before that I hadn't realized. So I know, for example, now that corn is a problem for me, but I'm fine if I have rice occasionally.
0: So so how would your body respond then? You know, if you ate a corn on the cob right now, (laughs) what would happen?
2: (laughs) Um, Initially, it would just be sort of a little bit of digestive discomfort. I get a very sort of specific pain that I associate now with foods I don't eat that's very low down in the abdomen. But what tends to be more of a knock-on effect for me is later on on my mood and my emotional state is that if I eat something that doesn't agree with me for about three days afterwards, I'll be really quite grumpy about it and not very nice to live with, as I'm sure my husband will attest to.
1: (laughs) Oh. When, I might have this wrong, but were you originally a vegetarian as well at some point? Did I hear yeah, that? so
2: I was vegetarian for about 11 years, and wow. I have to say, it was probably the worst health decision of my life. <laughs> oh, <wow>. um, <laughs> I was vegetarian because I don't agree with the way that we kind of mass farm animals to be eaten. Um, But being vegetarian for me wasn't sustainable. Um, My muscle quality was appalling. I had no energy. Um, I just looked absolutely awful and pale and tired all the time and was borderline anemic, probably because I was gluten sensitive as well. Um, And it it was talking to another nutritional therapist, actually, Alex Ferretti, and he said, look, you're just not designed to be a vegetarian. And I've been thinking for a while that that was probably the case, but I had to kind of get my head around the ethical side of things. Of course. And I guess that's really why I've kind of ended up in the paleo camp, because it's so focused on choosing kind of grass-fed, outdoor reared meat that's had a good life, that I can kind of ethically see the sense in that as well, and still eat food that now really suits my body and allows me to build muscle and have loads of energy.
1: That's really interesting because also, I mean, we have clients that approach us who are vegetarian. And and I think it was actually one of, um, somebody else mentioned this to me, and it was a really good point that when you point, highlight to a vegetarian, that actually making a demand for meat that's well reared actually makes more of a statement than being vegetarian in some ways because, um, you know, obviously, no one, we're never going to turn everybody to be vegetarian, but you can create a movement for, you know, sort of, you know, let's avoid the supermarket meat, let's go for, you know, go back to farms and try and get meat reared properly, grass-fed, just how it should be.
2: Exactly, yeah. And I do firmly believe that we are designed to eat meat. It's just that everything's become so over-processed and the the idea that we've got to, you know, feed cattle, bucket loads of grain to fatten them up as quickly as possible, just, it's so counterintuitive, really.
0: thing is, it's a tough one, isn't it? Because, I mean, don't get me wrong, I mean, 99% of our clients are meat eaters, yet we do have the odd vegetarian that comes into the mix and that wouldn't you say like such a hard battle is when someone's got such a strong belief against eating meat you know like uh like you mentioned yet you can see that their health is is suffering uh because of that you know it's a it's a real tough kind of cookie to 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 bite into because you obviously don't want to offend the individual, but at the same time your goal is to to make them healthy and to thrive and and feel awesome every single day. I mean, have you ever had that problem?
2: Yeah, I mean, certainly when I was working as a a nutritional therapist in a clinic, you get two sorts of, of people. You get those that are vegetarian for what they consider to be health reasons. And generally speaking, there's quite a lot of evidence to persuade them that perhaps eating even a little bit of meat might be good for them. Um, But those that are are truly ethically opposed to eating animals, um, that's a very personal choice. And it's something, I guess, you just have to work around, really. Um, And, you know, focusing in on making sure they're getting the best quality protein and things that they can from vegetable foods.
1: Wow. Um, Okay, so tell us about um, Pure Taste. How did that come about? That's your pop-up restaurant.
2: Yeah, so when I sort of started getting into chefing, the the restaurant that I was working at, um, they were quite interested in the gluten-free, because obviously it's a growing market. So I'd started to to develop some gluten-free recipes for them to use in the restaurant. Um, And then they decided that they wanted to do a gluten-free and dairy-free night themselves. So I helped them to design a menu um, and cooked in the kitchen on the night to make sure that everything went smoothly, and it was a huge success. So then the guys in the kitchen were nagging me for a couple of months, um, saying that I should really do a pop-up. And I kept sort of thinking, well, I kind of want to do this, but I'm not sure how to go about it. Um, So the obvious solution was to actually do it at the restaurant I was working in. So I managed to persuade Jeremy, who owns the restaurant, to let me have it just once a month on on what would normally be a quiet night for them. Um, And I decided rather than just doing gluten-free, that I really wanted to embrace all the the specialist diets, all the people that when they go out for dinner feel like the Spanish Inquisition with the waiter and have to make (laughs) lots of changes and take lots of things off their plate. So I went in for paleo, um, you know, grain-free, dairy-free, sugar-free, legume-free, gluten-free options, um, and also put it out there that if people had other allergies or intolerances, that provided they let me know, I'd do my very best to create dishes that were exciting for them.
1: What's the hardest one? Has anyone ever been sort of, you know, come along with nut allergy, egg allergy, like everything allergy, and you had to work around it?
2: I think the hardest one was a lady that was on the paleo autoimmune protocol. Oh, yeah, so yeah. So it was no nuts, no seeds, no kind of sweetness of any sort, oh, wow. um, no eggs, just literally like animal protein, vegetables. Very, very clean stuff. But we were actually able to cater for her and even produce a dessert. Because she Amazing. gave me like two weeks notice. So it meant getting the thinking cap on. But that's actually what I love about this. I like the challenge of creating things for people. Yeah. Because I know how miserable it can be going out to eat.
1: Because you've taken have, away. You um, have like so a... I really
2: like creating what I consider to be like a proper dish for somebody out of what they
1: can eat. I was going to say, if you can create an autoimmune special menu, I think you, you really would sell that night out completely.
0: <laughs> you'd, have to, you'd probably have to open more restaurants. Yeah,
2: definitely. Well, that's the plan, you see. We're <laughs> hoping that if this one goes well, that we can roll it out sort of in all the major cities in the UK. Gosh, that that sounds
1: would,
0: amazing. Yeah, that would be amazing. thing is, is like, because um, we've always said, I mean, because I, I love cooking, I always have loved cooking, ever since I was a kid. Um, I can't say I ever had a goal to be a chef, um, it just didn't really occur to me but I did just enjoy cooking and creating new recipes uh, but for me you know I'm, I like taking the easy route you know the, the easier the recipe the, the better and that was kind of like what we tried to do with our fit food book was to kind of show people that you could knock up really quick recipes but also taste great and are nutritionally dense um, and w- when we entertain with guests and I think like we've probably had the most about 12 people round to our flat yeah, well. I mean, it's just chaos, isn't it, trying to cook for that many people, <laughs> and my cortisol levels go through the roof. So what's it like, you know, on a night when you're catering for a dance like more than 12 people and getting all these different uh, meals ready?
2: It's a very different way of cooking. Um, I mean, I obviously, I didn't really know what I was letting myself in for, but I'd started to volunteer in a professional kitchen way before I decided to retrain. Um, And there's a lot of sort of tricks of the trade that make it a lot easier to produce food en masse. Um, So that definitely helps. And on the actual pop-up nights, I do have a a team of chefs that work with me. So although I've spent three days at home, like prepping all of the desserts and the breads and everything, um, on the actual night to produce the dishes, there's four chefs in the kitchen, including myself. Um, So that definitely helps with the the sort of covering 50 people's worth of dinners. But it's more, um, it's the way that you go about cooking things and having everything kind of semi-prepared before the service starts. So you're literally just finishing off the meat and the vegetables and things like that, and plating it, Um, which I think is where, when you're kind of mass catering at home, people perhaps get a little bit unstuck. because they're trying to cook the same way that they'd cook if they were cooking for two people. Yeah. And you just can't do that when you cook on mass.
1: So basically we need to start the day before we have people over. (laughs) Chopping the veg, cooking the meat.
0: A a bigger kitchen would be quite
1: nice. Well, did you learn... Sorry, go on.
2: So, for example, so if you pick, always pick to do a dessert that you can make ahead and even do things like slice it into portions ready and have it in the fridge ready to go before your guests have even come over, that's quite a quick way around things. If, for example, if I make like a kashuna ice cream, it'll all be pre-scooped and put back in the freezer. So literally the slice of cake or tart or whatever goes onto the plate The ice cream pre-scooped comes out the freezer. You do a pretty little thing on the plate with some kind of coolie or sauce of some kind, um, and then have lots of sort of pre-made pretty things like crisp pear crisps or um, freeze-dried raspberries or things to decorate with. So all of that's kind of done. It's just a case of putting it on the plate. And it's the same with, for example, if you were doing a big Christmas dinner, you can have the meat already cooked and resting the vegetables already pre blanched and then all you've got to do the slice of cake or tart whatever goes onto the plate the ice cream pre-scoop comes out the freezer you do a pretty little thing on the plate with some kind of coolie or sauce of some kind um, and then have lots of sort of pre-made pretty things like crisp pear crisps or um, freeze dried raspberries or things to decorate with. So all of that's kind of done. It's just a case of putting it on the plate. And it's the same with, for example, if you were doing a big Christmas dinner, you can have the meat already cooked and resting, the vegetables already pre-blanched and then all you've got to do is finish them off in a little bit of coconut butter and some salt and pepper, add whatever it is to them that you want to flavour them with um, and get it all out of the kitchen quite quickly.
0: So so preparation is key?
2: Definitely, yeah. Getting everything as, as near to almost cooked as possible before you actually finish it off and serve it up.
1: The only thing I'd say about that is if I, if I ever tried to do that, I think I'd notice like every single day that there was another bit of ice cream missing or another piece of yeah. cake and Matt would be going back every night and just <laughs> sneaking. I would One of the myself. pear crisps that just disappear. The
0: guests would have nothing. <laughs> yeah.
1: What did you learn when you were working um, in a kitchen? Because I know you mentioned something to me about um, things like the fats are often used to cook different foods and therefore people can actually be exposed to gluten in ways that they didn't realize just through the fats that are used to cook chips yeah
2: that's the biggest problem i think um although there's there's a growing sort of market for producing gluten-free options um in existing chain restaurants and existing you know independent restaurants but there's such a high risk of cross-contamination because if things are cooked in the same bakeware pans then a lot of that you know, although they're cleaned, they're not perhaps, you know, scrupulously cleaned like you would at home, and there might be some cross-contamination from that. Deep fat fryers, obviously not a huge fan of deep fat fried food, but often, even if you go somewhere, for example, and they have sweet potato wedges, they'll be cooked in the same deep fat fryer as the breaded chicken. So if you've got somebody who's really sensitive to gluten, then that's going to cause them a huge problem. Um, So it's if you really want to eat safely, you kind of have to choose a venue that's exclusively
1: gluten-free. Wow. I bet lots of celiacs that probably didn't know that, did they, out there? And It's really useful. Well,
0: that's, that's quite interesting because the amount of people that, you know, like uh, that will go out for a meal and they can actually be quite irritated in some way for a day or two afterwards and, you know, they, they'll be like, yeah, I followed the principles though, you know, I had this, I had that, but it's little things like that that you pr- most people probably wouldn't think about when it comes to choosing things like you say, like sweet potato chips over regular chips and uh, any other kind of like fried goods, if it has, there's a bit of like cross contamination, if you like, from the different oils. So that's quite an interesting point to make.
2: Yeah, well, I had to be really careful when I was doing the pop-up nights. Um, so, for example, if I wanted to deep-fry anything, first of all, the, the deep-fat fry had to be completely cleaned out, and then I'd fill it with coconut oil, because I think that's a much safer thing to cook stuff in. Um, but I had to completely empty that out. I had to take all of my own wooden spoons and pans um, to reduce the cross-contamination risk there. Wow. All of the desserts and breads were cooked in my home bakeware, which is entirely gluten-free. Um, So it's a lot to think about just to make the pop-up safe, let alone, like, if you're just going to, you know, a a random chain pizza restaurant and and having a gluten-free pizza or a gluten-free pasta, you want to know that that's been cooked in separate water or on a separate baking sheet so that there's no risk that little bits of flour and things are going to get stuck to your food.
1: And were you pretty much full then most evenings that you did the pop-up restaurant?
2: Yeah, we were often booked, you know, three or four weeks in advance. Oh, for each wow. Wow. Night. So it was a really good response, and that's kind of what prompted me to think about turning it into a, a full-time restaurant.
0: So what about uh, alcoholic beverages? <laughs> what were, were, were diners having some uh, top-quality vino with their meals or what?
2: Yeah, I mean, the, the alcohol side of things was handled by the restaurant itself because I don't have uh, an alcohol licence, um, and that was part of our agreement was that they would get the revenue that went over the bar. Um, but I'm very lucky because they're a very good restaurant. They've got an amazing wine list, so lots of, you know, really nice, super quality red wines. And I have plans for the pop-up to ha- uh, for the full-time restaurants to have an exclusively organic and biodynamic wine list. Oh, yeah, <laughs> a whole cocktail menu designed around therapeutic herbs and um sort of fruits and things like that so proper healthy cocktails but with an alcoholic twist or non-alcoholic twist depending
1: on how you sit on the fence there's going to be a massive queue out the door for this i can see it already (laughs) (laughs) let's hope so
0: (laughs) so you've been i mean how many pop-ups have you done now
2: Um, I've done it for 10 months so I started in February uh, this year and the last one was November and the restaurant's now got all their Christmas bookings and things so because I'm hoping to be working on the my own restaurant by the beginning of next year um, I'm sort of finished for pop-up nights for the moment and just looking to focus on the end goal of a proper restaurant now.
0: That makes sense so speaking of the uh fully fledged restaurant how how are you planning on making this move to from a, a once a month pop up to a fully fledged restaurant in london of all places
2: <laughs> well for the last few months i've been busy sort of writing business plans talking to banks, talking to investors, um, looking at personal loan options, maybe selling a kidney, all of that. <laughs> um, and I think I've got about sort of 75% of the, the capital I need. Um, and over the last couple of weeks, I've also launched the project on Kickstarter to try and get the little bit of extra money I need to, to get a really good location, because it's, it's really important to me that the restaurant is, is as accessible as possible, which is why I've gone for London um, and I want to be really near good transport links because um, the key to this is that people can come easily and, and get to us and enjoy themselves.
1: Where will it be in London? Is it, has that been decided yet?
2: Um, it's not totally decided because the London property market moves really fast. So once I've got all of the money in the bank, I'll then be able to kind of look at properties properly and, and put offers in. Um, but in order to do my research, I was looking at properties mostly around sort of south and southwest London. So I've been looking in sort of Clapham, Fulham, Notting Hill type area. Um, but I've also seen some quite nice ones around Shoreditch. So it really just depends on what's available at the time. Um, and what's the easiest transport link-wise to get to.
0: There's quite a lot of uh, retail space in Forest Hill. Yeah. Fancy checking that out. It's quite cheap as well in comparison to Clapham.
1: We'd be there every night, wouldn't we? That that
0: could be quite lethal, actually.
1: Do you have a name for the restaurant yet?
2: I think I'm going to stick with the name that I've used for the pop-up, which is Pure Taste, because it sort of encompasses all the different angles of what I'm doing, really, which is using the purest food that I can find and making it as tasty as possible.
0: I like Excellent. it. I like the name anyway. Yeah, I, don't, I wouldn't, really I wouldn't change that. I mean, so, because obviously what we're big on is, you know, we're, we love food. I particularly love food. I love cooking. I'm all about flavour. But obviously we're all about, you know, nutrition, health and and just thriving, like I say, every single day. And, you know, we have the odd treat for sure. But a point that we try and get across to to everybody is that, you know, principles are great, but food quality is paramount, which we touched on earlier. Um, and I know it's on your website for your Pure Taste pop up, and you've got like a list of your suppliers. Um, so what 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 kind of uh, things do you look out for when obviously getting ingredients in from suppliers? Because obviously you're not going to get any old toot, you know, just because it's cheap and you get a bigger markup. You know, there's obviously going to be a Uh, an element of quality there. So what kind of things do you look for and and what are some examples of where you may get your meats, poultries, vegetables, etc.?
2: Yeah, I mean, certainly from the the meat point of view, and I think that's possibly the most important thing. Um, I've been very lucky because I've been doing the pop-up at an existing restaurant. I've had the ability to use all of their meat suppliers, um, which means it's been local, but it's also you know, very, very good quality stuff. So um, I get, like, South Downs lamb that's been reared on the South Downs, purely outside eating grass. Um, You can get really good quality, you know, uh, grass-fed beef and also quite a lot of wild game in our area as well. Um, So on my last pop-up night, I did venison that had come straight from Balcoma Estate, which is just down the road. Um, And I know, obviously, it's had a really fair... think but live outside and do what deer normally do and it just comes in and you can smell how wonderful the quality of it is and so once I move up to London the intention would be to just find similar suppliers up there where you know that a the animals had a fair life and B, that it's been raised in a way that's going to make the meat optimally Um So outdoor-reared, plenty of grass in the feeding pattern, and where game, wild if possible, or certainly minimally reared in the sense of not being fed things it wouldn't normally eat when it was outside on its own.
1: Wow. And with things like um, nuts, do you have to sort of go an extra mile with nut flowers because of the gluten-free aspect as well, or...?
2: Yeah, I mean, always with supplies, you have to check for cross-contamination issues um so it's there's certain things like for example buckwheat flour which i use in some of my gluten-free but not paleo dishes uh, there's a big risk of cross-contamination with that um, both at a manufacturing level but also at a crop level so i have to be really careful with that that what i'm buying is definitely gluten-free um, but yes things like ground almonds and stuff like that it's important to check that they've been milled in a factory where the mill isn't used for milling grains and things that might cause an issue for
1: people so on the on your menu you've got sort of paleo dishes and then sort of when you said non-paleo but then you're using sort of gluten-free flour so there's is a difference will it be in the restaurant the same as the pop-up different meal different meal choices
2: yeah um because the idea was to kind of cater for all sorts of specialist diets probably between 60 and 80 percent of the menu will be paleo yeah um there'll be some sort of more decadent dishes that are gluten-free so the whole menu will definitely be gluten-free because of the cross-contamination issue and i think it's nice to have a few of those sort of Unusual gluten free options because then people that want to off road a bit from the paleo and have a treat that's not going to completely wreck them can have something like a frangipan pan tart or a focaccia type bread and know that they're having something that's nice, but it's still gluten-free and and made from good quality ingredients. Um, I also plan on labelling in the new restaurant some options as low FODMAP for people that have problems with those, um, and also dishes that are suitable for people on the specific carbohydrate diet or following the the Western A price way of
1: eating. That's amazing, that would be absolutely fantastic. I'm going to get Matt on the low FODMAP one because he always gets terrible wins. Not always, (laughs) just just when I'm
0: naughty. (laughs) So here's a question, what is your favourite recipe from the Fit of Food book and will it feature on your menu?
2: (laughs) (laughs) My favourite recipe of yours is by far the plum cake and I have used it a number of times with different fruit in on my menus already Uh, because it's just brilliant, I love that recipe.
0: What's your favourite savoury dish?
2: Mm. I have to say I really like. I'm a, like you guys. I'm a big fan of burgers. <laughs> so I yes. really do like your burger recipes. You can't really um, go wrong with a burger. So- yeah, all of your burger recipes are awesome, and I'm a big fan of your man make pie.
0: Oh my god! I knew you were going to say that. I could just tell.
2: <laughs> I love the fact that you can make breakfast for a whole week in one dish. <laughs> yeah,
0: you're just sorted, aren't you? Someone actually made it yesterday. Somebody I'm friends with on Facebook and tagged me in it. And because uh, the thing is, we're we're big on uh, you know, we're, like you mentioned earlier, like we're big on preparation. The more prepared you are. You know, the 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 more likely you're going to kind of stay on track and be nice and organised when it comes to lunches, breakfast, etc. So a lot of our recipes are based on bulk cooking, so you cook an absolute batch load and you can freeze some, package it up for a few days' worth of lunches, snacks, whatever. And uh, but very few people do it. Many people think, oh, that's really big. I'll uh, I'll just use a quarter of the ingredients and make a smaller version. But uh, someone yesterday actually made the full. Man-made oh, yeah. pie. I'm gonna
2: make the full size one. And took the it? picture, and it
0: just oh, it just looked amazing.
2: It's huge.
0: I haven't had it for a while, actually. I might have to. That looks so cool on your menu. Man-made <laughs> pie. Man-made pie. <laughs> I'd
2: have
0: to find some pretty garnishes to make it
2: look a little more
1: fine dining. This yeah, is true. <laughs> there
0: you go. There, there's a challenge like for a you. Like a
1: slab of potato <laughs> and meat on the plate. <laughs> so, what would a typical day of eating look like for you, Holly?
2: Okay. Well, uh, this morning I had like a chorizo, pepper, mushroom, um, kind of saucy stir fry, which I poached eggs into. Oh, nice. nice. Um, so that's kind of oh, that's quite a common breakfast. We quite often have uh, burgers and butternut squash wedges for breakfast, Ooh. or like smoked salmon and scrambled egg, or um, like sausage, your sausage stuffed peppers. I really like that recipe. So that's quite a, a common one for us. Um, Lunches tend to be soupy, salad-y type things. So today we've got, like, tomato and basil soup with white fish in. Um, So we'll probably have that with some, like, vegetable crudités on the side, uh, maybe half an avocado, something along those lines. Um, I do like making fat bombs, so they definitely feature. So, like, little coconut um, cream things set in the freezer and little sort of um, pretend peanut butter cup
1: type things. I love that you call them fat bombs. when <laughs> <It's laughs> I looked at name. each other We're like I what's can't a fat think bomb?
2: think of a better way to describe them really other than hey I want some sugar but here's some healthy fats. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you sort of say to your husband I'm going to put the kettle on do you want a fat bomb? <laughs>
2: <laughs> Pretty much yeah <laughs> um, and then in the evening it tends to be things like um, one of my favourite things to cook is something called Brazilian fish which is fish like a lime, coconut, pepper,
1: um, oh, nice. like a different
2: coloured pepper sauce. Um, and we'll have that with three different coloured veggies or like a, a sort of fish soup, like noodle soup, but with the noodles made from courgette. We have quite a lot of courgette spaghetti with chicken or prawns and things like that on. Um, I think this evening we'll probably have that with salmon on the top. So just those sort of things, really. Um, a bit of fruit through the day, some nuts, that kind of stuff.
0: Nice. made me
1: really hungry now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, it is almost <laughs>
0: lunchtime, isn't it? Near
1: nearly, nearly. Bru- Brunch. Yeah. <laughs>
0: um, so we mentioned earlier about, you said you're 95% paleo, mm-hmm. but what would be an all-out, out-and-out treat for you? So you said you're always gluten-free, but what would be your all, all-out-and-out treat?
2: Mm, probably... Something, something really naughty like a crunchy bar, or um, just trying to
0: think. Really, it's funny though, isn't it? Because a cr- like you know, you're considering a crunchy as a treat, whereas many people would probably can see, see a crunchy as being a being good compared to their usual Galaxy caramel or <laughs> Snickers. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah,
2: no, I, it depends. It depends. It's probably better to ask me the question when I'm a bit stressed. and <laughs> 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 I think of something more naughty that I wanted. But when I'm happy, it's, it's usually I don't tend to crave that sort of food. I guess, actually, I'll tell you what I do really fancy sometimes, which would be a really nice gluten-free sandwich with a camembert and cranberry and turkey in it. Oh, yeah. That, that would probably be pretty good. That sounds um, good. But I do have an awesome paleo bread roll recipe, so I could quite happily make that and still be primal about it. Well, if you'd be <laughs> so kind up. as
0: to uh, yeah. e- email <laughs> send, that over send to that us.
2: Way. <laughs> I definitely will. It's when I found it was actually on a low carb website, but it's amazing. It's like proper bread. Oh, right. wow. And it's, it's brilliant, absolutely brilliant. I will send it to you guys. Oh, that would yeah. be
0: amazing, because I do I do miss the odd bit of bread.
1: I know you do. You go on about it quite I a
2: lot. Know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, think, I think that's probably my, my sort of ultimate food that I miss, is bread, and sometimes crunchy things. Yeah. Uh, I find with paleo food that you, you sort of lack that sort of crunchy texture that you yeah. get with a lot of the rubbish processed foods. Um, but I have recently discovered the wonder of making... Uh, dehydrated beetroot chips in my dehydrator
1: Oh, so good.
2: I just mandolin them and then use the you know you can buy pizza grinders that've got pizza seasoning in yeah pizza season them and then dehydrate them on full whack for like sort of two to four hours and they make amazing beetroot chips so that's kind of solved my crunchy
1: crisp craving that's a great idea that is actually on my um Christmas list of dehydrator Matt thinks it's like
0: well you ain't getting it
1: he thinks it's one of them things that we'll buy and I'll use it twice and then it'll go to the back of the kitchen cupboard. <laughs> it won't fit in the back of your kitchen cupboard. Exactly. It's fine. You'll have to use it every day. To be in the way. But like you, the reason I want it was to have like to make snacks that are quite crunchy and to be able to take vegetables out and about with me. And you know, carrot sort of... sticks. I know, but it's just something different. <laughs> I tell you what though, it's, if you like,
2: if, I don't know if you guys are into like biltong and jerky and things like that, it's awesome oh yeah, for making
1: your own, it's so much cheaper. Oh wow, so now you're going to sell that to Matt you see, he's that, like, that now he's suddenly perked up. <laughs> 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 yeah, it's alright, Kerry's paid me
2: lots of money to mention that. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah, okay. so, Holly, one thing I was going to ask, when you get into opening the restaurant, your hours and are going to just go through the roof and you'll be so busy, so how will you sort of maintain the way that you eat? What's You know, will you sort of just do loads of batch cooking or will you be in the kitchen to should just at the restaurant, eat the restaurant food? or
2: <laughs> Well, to be honest with you, my hours have been kind of all over the place for years. So I'm fairly used to being kind of prepared. And, and that's actually why I've got a copy of your cookbook as well. Because I, like you, when I'm cooking for myself, it's not all fine dining and pretty stuff. It's got to be practical, tasty, quick to make. So... I think the good thing about restaurants is you don't normally start until about nine in the morning. So I'll still be able to get a really good breakfast in and that's definitely the most important meal of the day for me. Um, And I think there's quite a lot of kind of picky things that you can do for for lunches where you can just shove like olives and vegetable sticks and a bit of jerky in a lunchbox and you're sorted. Um, But I fully intend on providing staff meals to my staff at the restaurant that would be paleo and gluten free. Um, So that will cover the days where I'm working on shift. Um, and I think with when you're cooking professionally, you have a choice. You either do staff food just before the lunch service service or afterwards. And I think from a body clock point of view, it works much better doing it before the service.
1: Yeah. So
2: I'd be providing staff meals then. And obviously on my days off, i um, just cooking the way that I normally do now for Matt and I.
1: God, I'm going to go apply for a job.
2: Yeah, is there any, any yeah, sounds amazing. <laughs> Definitely, I'm going to need lots of stuff because I'm going to be super busy. Hopefully, so send in a CV. I'm sure we could find you a few shifts.
1: I think you're going to be as soon as this goes out, you'll be overwhelmed with applications. who be like, I want to work
2: there. I want to work
1: there. <laughs> so, what? Um, tell um, our listeners what prizes you're offering for people if they donate towards your Kickstarter project. Some yeah, great so
2: it's everything from. So I, I've just been working on my own sort of mini e cookbook, which has got some of the recipes in that I used at the pop up. Um, so for those people that are interested in like really dressing up their paleo foods, do like a proper dinner party that'll impress their non-paleo friends and family, um, the e cookbook's an option. I've also got quite a lot of meals to give away, so meals for two people, um, as well as like a supper club options. So, if people want to club together, get 12 people, then they can buy a supper club option, come to the restaurant, and I'll actually design the menu for them. So, they can pretty much write a wish list of what they'd like to eat. We'll match a load of drinks up with it as well and, and really give them a kind of bespoke experience. Um, we've also got the one-to-one cookery lessons um, that we will be holding at the restaurant. Uh, people have the option to design uh, a mocktail or a cocktail for our menu and have it named after them if they like. Oh, uh, we've got tickets to our launch party, um, which comes with you know, a six-course meal and drinks and entertainment and all of that as well. Um, and they're for two people, so if you pledge one amount of money, you and your partner can come together. Uh, We've got things for a New Year's Eve party, um, and we've also got the option, um, if anyone's planning a paleo wedding or a big birthday or something like that, um, the option to pledge quite a large amount of money, £5,000, but to have the restaurant to yourselves for the evening. Um, I'll design you a menu, we'll throw in some entertainment and the drinks, um, and basically you can have the, the venue exclusively.
1: That sounds oh, amazing. Wow. We can't decide which one to go for, can we? We keep looking at it going, which one? And then we disagree. <laughs> just
0: for one of each. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, what, I have, what I'm just about to um, email my current
2: backers and say is with Kickstarter, it only allows you to pick one reward. But if people want two things, if they just pledge the joint amount and email me through Kickstarter, I've got a running spreadsheet of people that actually want two things. Right. So. That makes it easier for you guys, and that's absolutely fine. Just let me know. Pick one reward. Let me know what you've pledged and what you want for the second one, and I can happily add it onto the spreadsheet and make a note of it so that everyone gets what they want. Yay.
0: That's amazing, isn't it? Right, so we've had a good chat about the the pop-up and the, fingers crossed, soon-to-be restaurant, uh, which is going to be absolutely epic, I can tell. But um, I don't want the listeners forgetting that you are... uh, um, a, a, a lecturer at um, numerous colleges—is that right? It's not just—it's not just the uh, CNM, is it? No, I, I
2: lecture at both CNM and the um, CNEM, which is a college in Wokingham um, as well. So I, I'm sort of all over the place doing bits and pieces.
0: Oh, that is a mate. Can you still hear me? Sorry, the sound just tripped out a little bit then. Yep. Yeah. Oh, awesome. I, could, I didn't know if you had stopped talking or if it went, but. Uh, <laughs> But, um, I mean that, that is so cool to know that you know you've got someone cooking your food that actually knows a hell of a lot about the body and nutrition. I mean, you couldn't really be any in any safer hands, could you, when dining out
2: well that's why I wanted to do this really because I think that's the biggest problem is you can go out and you can ask lots of questions and modify everything on the menu but most people that do that don't feel fully confident that they've A been listened to or B that the person in the kitchen has the knowledge to actually apply what they've asked for. The number of times I've eaten out somewhere and they've said oh no sorry that's not gluten free and I've asked why and they've said because it's got butter in it and you just think (laughs) these people really don't get it and I think that's why this is I'm so passionate about this is because I understand how that person feels sat in that chair waiting for their food and I want them to have the confidence to know that the person in the kitchen has trained her team so that when somebody says you know i'm on the autoimmune paleo protocol i can't have all of these things That the people in the kitchen will actually pay attention and think well you know how can we make this suitable for that person what can we do to make their experience enjoyable and safe
1: and so after you've got your sort of five restaurants successfully running where do you think you'll go next after that
2: Probably to collapse in a big heap somewhere. <laughs> 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 I really don't know. I think the plan at the moment is to get sort of five or six venues open and get them really self-sustaining so that the people that are are running them fully you know knowledgeable and clued up on the philosophy and really know what they're doing and then see where I'm at really I'm something I like to grow as a person so I think once I've got to that stage I'll probably have another project brewing or something else that I'll be wanting to do so I guess watch this space.
1: I think oh, it would be no your, your own line of dehydrated snacks built on beef. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's
2: a plan for the restaurant anyway, you see. We've oh, got wow. lots of like side plans to have products in the shop, um, both stuff from outside suppliers that are suitable for all the different diets, as well as things that we can easily make in hired kitchen space, the sorts of things that you can't buy out and about very easily. Um, but and produced in a way that you know is safe to eat for the diet that you've chosen to follow. Uh,
1: wow! You need to get some little, um, you know, in every London station. If you could just have a little um, to go stall, a little kiosk a paleo to go kiosk, that yeah. would be amazing. That would yeah, be, that would
2: be awesome. It'd make life yeah. so much easier for so many people. Yeah,
1: please do that. <laughs> <laughs> You can write the business plan for that bit. How about that? Uh, uh, <laughs> it's not my forte at all. <laughs> get
0: get, get me scotch eggs on there.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> hey. So in a nutshell now, so uh, moving away from the restaurant a little bit, um, if you was to kind of just give a little bit of wise advice to our listeners, you know, about just health and nutrition in general, like I said, just in a nutshell, what, what's kind of your approach when it comes to, to food and health?
2: I would say the most important thing that you have to learn to do is to listen to your body because it definitely knows best when you get back in tune with it and listen to it. Um, I know they've done experiments with, with toddlers where they've like, given them free reign over a whole range of foods, and they've actually eaten quite a balanced diet because your body does know what you need. It's just that in modern life with so many signals from marketeers and so much processed food and all these supernormally stimulating things out there, we lose sight of that. So I think if people just take the time to slow down, Really enjoy what they're eating and listen to the signals from their body, then they'll start to make the right choices automatically.
1: That's great. That's really Uh,
0: good. Yeah. People far too often just ignore what their body's telling them, or worse still, they perceive it as normal, which is something that, you know, like people just think it's it's, everybody farts loads, everyone gets bloated after eating and, and things like that. And people just think it's the norm when in fact it's not. It's actually your body giving you a solid sign that something's not quite right.
1: Exactly. It's interesting. I was actually speaking to somebody at the weekend um, at our Christmas party and he's a bit, you know how you have the odd person who's a bit against paleo and starts to argue. You know, loves a bit of gluten. <laughs> he did keep saying, I just love gluten. Um, <laughs> but um, he was just sort of saying, you know, we've been eating these foods for thousands of years and we're just doing fine on them. Um, I don't know about that. And I said, you might feel fine, you might feel healthy. I said, but at some point, I'm sure your skin, you know, you might get eczema or you know, skin problems or maybe even asthma. And it turned out he said, well, I actually have eczema, but you know, I'd rather have a bit of eczema and eat bread.
2: (laughs) There
1: you go. And I said, I'm sure you're going to change your mind in in a few months, years, maybe, but you'll definitely. You just need to experience optimal health, and then you'll want it.
0: The thing is, that yeah. every, everyone's got their own priorities, yeah. and you know if his priority is that, his then, <laughs> then
1: that,
0: then that's fine. But it was actually interesting, uh, someone who I'm friends with on Facebook uh, overheard a conversation in a restaurant between two women, and uh, one of them was whinging to the other, saying, I just can't lose weight. I feel like crap all the time. I've spent an absolute fortune on shakes, on these different kind of uh, diet protocols, and I just can't lose weight. And they glanced over, and the whole time that she was whinging to her friend, saying that she was like tucking into crisps and <laughs> deep, deep deep fried calamari and and God knows what else, and and drinking like glass off the glass of wine. Yeah. And And uh, it's just it it's just the irony of you know someone kind of in a state where they're like, oh God, I'm just so fed up. I just you know just nothing's working. Meanwhile, there they're stuffing their face with all the the wrong things, but. I think it is just each to their own. And the time will come. I always say, like, you know, because it, it's not always the case that when someone comes to you that they are necessarily in the right frame of mind to make the changes that are required. You know, it's, no,
2: that's the thing. You, can, you really can only help people that, that want to be helped.
0: 100%. I mean, it's, it, it's one of those things. I mean, we have no kind of qualms in turning people away, do we, and just saying, look, I don't think you're in the right place at this moment to get where you want to be you know come back to us when when you're really ready because when you're really ready you'll you just know and you'll just have a whole different mindset and a whole different approach to to nutrition and health
1: but i think also that i mean the tides are changing a bit now but you do have to as you've mentioned you're you're sort of up against pharmaceuticals and food industry who are constantly telling people other things you know this will fix you and that's better for you and this is healthier and then you're trying to argue no actually it's probably making you sicker it's making you feel worse so the more people that are shouting the same message and, and, like, it's great what you're doing, Hollywood, the restaurant, and hopefully we're going to have the kiosks coming soon. I really, really want that. I'm going to start a movement. <laughs> yeah. Then the easier yeah it, I think it a big part
2: of what I'm trying to do is also to show people that eating in a way that's, you know, supportive of your health and your energy levels and, and all of those things doesn't have to be boring mm-hmm. I think there's this 100%. big misconception that healthy eating has to be restrictive and boring and dull and in some way like some kind of purgatory it's and it doesn't you know you can eat amazing things and if you do listen to your body it'll tell you what you want to eat and when
1: you want to eat it yeah
0: definitely. no exa- exactly I mean well that's exactly why we wrote the book because you know we wanted people to stop thinking that uh chicken and steamed broccoli was the way forward if you wanted to lose weight and be healthy. So we're, we're totally with you on that one. Right, we will wrap it up. Holly, it's been absolutely amazing chatting to you and I could honestly talk about it all day long. But in order to try and keep the podcast within the hour, why don't you tell us now where, uh, where people can find out more about you, the restaurant, uh, the Kickstarter and any like uh, your, your Twitter twitter page facebook page things like that
2: okay well first of all to support the campaign on kickstarter just go to kickstarter.com and if you put paleo or gluten-free into the search bar then you should find my project which is opening the uk's first gluten-free and paleo restaurant alternatively you can have a look at the website for my pop-up which is www Um, puretastepopup.co.uk that's got all the information on there about what I've been doing so far as well as a link to the kickstarter the same thing for Facebook it's puretastepopup and at puretastepopup
1: on Twitter what's it? yeah
0: um, well, yeah, Holly. Once again, thank you so much for coming on. It's been it's been lovely chatting to you, and uh, no doubt, I mean, I'm yet to meet you. Keris actually knows you. Yeah, you're
1: my lecturer.
0: One of my lecturers. So uh, yeah, hopefully I'll, I'll meet you soon whilst dining on your fine cuisine. Lovely.
1: Thanks ever so much for having me, guys.
0: Brilliant. Have a good day.
2: Cheers. Cheers. Bye. For now. Bye. Bye.